No. It's the Christmas star. And that's all that matters tonight. Not bonuses or gifts or turkeys or trees. See, kids, it means something different to everybody. Now I know what it means to me. Theology by Clark Griswold. You know, he was so close. He nailed it when he said Christmas is not about bonuses or trees or turkeys or gifts. That star, that star reminds us. If only he had said, that's, that's the star of Bethlehem. And that reminds us of the coming of Jesus. Instead, he said some dumb thing about it means something different to everybody. And it just reinforces the Christmas confusion that I think is so prevalent in the world today. It's why we're going to spend this month just really digging in to what Christmas really means, what, what it's all about. Let me start today with kind of this idea. Just I want you to kind of track with me here. God gave us five senses, right? Five senses so that we could experience life to the fullest, so that we could investigate and discover and learn and grow. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that there's another time in the year that heightens my senses more than Christmas time. The sights of Christmas lights and Christmas decorations and, man, kids' faces on Christmas Eve, it's just so wonderful. And there's the the smell of Christmas, whether it's Christmas candles, you've got cookies out of the oven, uh, turkey dinner, all those kinds of things. There's touch. The touch of a hand, an arm around the shoulder, maybe hugging somebody that you only see once a year, and it can just be so very meaningful. And the taste, oh man, the taste of Christmas. My grandma's dressing recipe that Gail just nails, uh, my mom's cookie brittle recipe that we've been having for 50 years around our place, and uh, Gail's chicken holiday wreath that's just become kind of a, a new thing. This past Friday, I was talking to Gail. I said, you know, honey, it's, it's that time of year. We need to make some cookie brittle, which is a favorite at our house. And she said, by we, you mean me, don't you? I said, well, I'll eat some of it. I mean, we're in this together. You know, it's, it's a team effort. Anyway. So, yes, he made some. But, uh, you know, and then there's the sounds, right? The sounds of Christmas. I mean, you've got laughter and there's singing and you got conversations around the, the Christmas tree or around the fireplace. There's Christmas carols on the radio that started about Labor Day. I don't know. But, but man, there's just something about Christmas music. I really do. I love it. And it, I think in so many ways, music has a power all its own. So what we're going to do over these next few weeks is we're going to take four Christmas carols and we're going to just unpack them as they describe the greatest story ever told. These are songs that have been around a long time. They've stood the test of time. The biblical truth that's in them is so profound. There's a power and an energy to this music, I think. There are traditions that just have kind of sprung up based on these songs that we sing year after year after year. We're going to start today with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And then later this month, we'll get to Joy to the World, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and O Holy Night on Christmas Eve. Now, the lyrics 
to Hark the Herald Angels Sing were written all the way back in 1737 by England's Charles Wesley, one of the most prolific hymn writers in history. Charles was the youngest of 18 children, only 11 of whom survived. His mother, Susanna, was a godly woman. She just saturated her kids with a knowledge of Scripture. You may know that Charles' brother, John Wesley, was a powerful revival preacher. He was the founder of the Methodist Church. Well, Charles was a preacher too, but he spent most of his time writing some 6,500 hymns when he wasn't doing his hair. <laughs> By the way, sorry, that picture just really caught me. But um, he wrote hymns like Love Divine, All Love's Excelling, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. But this hark carol is one of his most beloved. Now the melody that we know for Hark the Herald Angels Sing was actually written about a hundred years after Wesley uh, wrote these words. It was written by Felix Mendelssohn. He was born Jewish. He converted to Christianity as a young boy. And in 1840, he composed a tune in honor of Gutenberg, who gave us the printing press and then gave us the Bible in print for the very first time. Well, a few years later, a, an opera singer took Mendelssohn's tune and took Wesley's lyrics, put them together and Hark the Herald Angels Sing, as we know it, was born. It was published in a Methodist hymnal two years later. Within a decade, it was one of the most beloved Christmas carols of all time. That's the history. But I think this song, perhaps more than any other, deals with the theological and the spiritual meaning of Jesus' birth. At a time when Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Daisy Red Rider BB guns and Mario and Pokemon and everything else is just vying for attention. This song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, offers a solid foundation of why Christmas is so important. It's not a star that means something different to everybody like Clark Griswold said. It's far more profound than that. It, it, this song tells us why everything that we believe comes back to this. The first verse begins with a birth announcement. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And then after the angels make that big announcement, we're invited in to join them. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You know, birth announcements are typically joyful occasions, right? Parents and grandparents, they post pictures all over Facebook. They make phone calls. They put signs in their yards. They can't wait to celebrate the new arrival. And I mean, people get kind of goofy sometimes. They just go on and on sometimes. It can get a little obnoxious. I remember back before the Facebook days, I had a friend. He sent me so many pictures of their new baby. I said, dude, you got to stop. I got more pictures of your kid than mine. You're making me look bad. You know, and we just, we get so excited to, to announce the arrival of a new life. And man, God was excited too. God was excited to announce the arrival of his son. 
But what's so surprising is that this greatest news of all time was delivered to this humble group of shepherds on a lonely hillside outside of a little village about as far from the seat of power as you can possibly imagine. Now, it's, it's, it's no doubt that Wesley was thinking about Luke chapter 2 when he wrote verse 1 of his, of his carol. Luke 2, 8 says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And this announcement was made from angels in the sky. You know, my brother and sister-in-law live out in the middle of nowhere in Henry County, Kentucky. And I drove out there a few weeks ago. It was a beautiful, sunshiny fall day, very still, no wind, everything was just really calm. It was, it was a beautiful day. And I turned from this county road onto their mile-long gravel driveway through the woods. And as soon as I turned into the driveway, I'm not kidding, it was like I had pulled onto the set of an action movie. Out of nowhere, trees were whipping back and forth, leaves were churning like crazy. I mean, I had no idea what was going on. It was kind of this surreal moment. I rolled my window down, I stuck my head out, my eyes started to water. It's like, what on earth? And then I looked up. Right over me, about 40 feet off the ground, was a Black Hawk helicopter. It was just hovering right there over my car and over his driveway. And I wanted to say, I'm not the one you're looking for. He lives a mile down the driveway. It's like, what on earth was this? And so he, was, he hovered over me for like a minute. I took a picture. I took that picture. And, and um, you know, it, it was just this kind of crazy thing. And I, I found out later from my brother that... Um, the, the army, they do maneuvers up and down the creek about once or twice a month. And, uh, and so it's really not as unusual as it seemed. But it was a pretty intense moment. I'm not used to being that close to things that could blow me up. I mean, it was just sort of a, an unexpected deal. But man, listen, listen, it was nothing like what these shepherds saw. In the sky, countless angels from heaven. I love Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but I got to be honest, I don't think the first words the shepherd said was hark. Hark, angels on yonder hillside. I don't think so. Holy crap, you know, what, what on earth? I mean, did you see that? That was crazy. I was down to sleep and then I woke up and then, you know, and they just, man, it just, it scared me to death. And dude, you're as white as a sheep. And I mean, they're just, I mean, it was explosive. It was this unbelievable moment when, when God announced that what history had waited for forever had happened and he had arrived. 
Now, the Bible teaches that, that angels are servants of God created a little higher than mankind. Some angels have six wings, and, and they, they spend all their time hovering in the throne room of heaven praising God. And others can take on the appearance of a human, and they can just blend right in. I mean, look around your row. Maybe it's one of them, you know. And, and then there were some angels it talks about in Scripture that had robes as bright as lightning. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 explains that all angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. The surprising thing about this passage is not that God sent angels to announce the birth of Jesus. It's that he sent them to a group of shepherds. I mean, no kidding. Being a shepherd in Jesus' day was about the lowliest job a person could have with maybe the exception of tending pigs, which is what the prodigal son ended up doing at his lowest moment. I mean, this, this just is not an enviable position. So, so let me ask you, do you think the angels were kind of disappointed that they were not sent to more influential people or that there weren't more people in the audience when they made their announcement? Years ago, I was asked to present a workshop at the North American Christian Convention, and I was excited about the opportunity. I worked really hard to prepare the material that I was going to share, and when I saw the schedule for the week, I found out that I was offering my workshop at the same time that Zig Ziglar was speaking in the main auditorium. Now, you may not know that name, but back in the day, he was the most well-known motivational speaker in the country. I cannot imagine how intimidated he must have felt when he found out he was speaking at the same time that I was. Truth is, the four of us or the 14 of us or whatever that gathered for my session sat through my material while one of the most well-known and famous speakers in the country was about 100 yards down the hallway. By the way, Gail said he was excellent. But anyway, um, I mean, here I am. I'm thinking seriously. You know, all that work... For a handful of people. Do you think the angels kind of felt that way? It's like, Lord, like this is the most important announcement ever to be made. Seriously, this is who we're talking to? I don't know how they felt. But I'm thinking they just were so excited they wanted to tell somebody. They were glad to tell anybody. Right? This, this plan of God's was that Jesus would enter the world in obscurity. The news, though, was too great not to tell somebody. And so they told these shepherds. The angels, they just had this excuse. They had to, they had to sing, and they got to. And, and what a powerful reminder that Jesus did not just come into the world for the wealthy or the influential or the powerful or the educated. He came for everybody, even this lowly, humble group of shepherds. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. But now the second verse of this carol directs us to Jesus' true identity. You probably aren't as familiar with the second verse of this song as you are with the first. It, it usually works that way. You ever gone Christmas caroling, which by the way, on the 17th, we're going Christmas caroling. That's a commercial announcement, okay, as a church. But you're caroling, and everybody sings the first verse together, and you, you nail that pretty well. And then somebody starts the second verse, and the wheels fall off pretty fast, and you're kind of all humming by the end, you know, because you really don't know all those words. If you don't have a sheet in front of you, you're in big trouble. But, but, but stanza two, I guess, of this carol is where you get into the serious theology. 
Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Now let me just say in passing that when it says late in time, behold him come, this does not mean that Jesus was late getting here. Some people that I know, maybe some people in my immediate family, really like this line. Late in time, behold him come. If Jesus could be late, it must be okay. This is not actually saying that Jesus was late arriving. Okay, the Bible says Jesus came in the fullness of time or at just the right time. He wasn't late. This is a reminder that when he arrived, it's the last days. Now, we think of it as being a long time ago, but in the God's eternal perspective, these are the last days. This is the climax, this time of all that history had been pointing to and all that God was planning. So here we are. And then there's so much doctrine right here in these lines. Jesus rules in heaven. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. You know, I think one of the reasons that the world can snuggle up next to Christmas without too much discomfort over religion and secular life intersecting is because there's nothing intimidating, there's nothing confrontational about a baby in a manger. A child born into poverty is politically correct. We can talk about that. I mean, what's not to like about a bunch of barnyard animals gathered around an infant in a feeding trough? But I'm telling you, if the world ever figured out who that baby really was, right, they would come to realize just how shallow their view of Christmas really is. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Now, he put that authority aside when he entered the womb of a Jewish teenager a couple of thousand years ago. But his lordship was never in doubt, even while he was sucking his thumb and having his diaper changed and learning to walk and talk like every baby does. He was adored by the hosts of heaven. He was here on earth as a child as an adult, but he always has been and always will be the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, we're also reminded in this song that he was born of a virgin. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. And this was part of prophecy in the Old Testament as well. 700 years before Christ, Isaiah said in chapter 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and announced the coming of Christ in Luke chapter 1, this is what he said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and you will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. And then in verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So I don't know what kind of Christmas music you like. I really like the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. 
Uh, I've got a, a video that I watch every December with their music, and Gail and I have seen them live in concert in Cincinnati. But on the video that I have, the, the pop musician uh, Jewel sings, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now, I like her version, except when she comes to this line, offspring of the virgin's womb, she sings, offspring of the favored one, which is true. The Bible says that Mary was highly favored, but I can't help but think that these kind of mainstream musicians just couldn't bring themselves to say that Jesus was born of a virgin. I mean, come on. That's just a little too much. But friends, the Bible is clear that Jesus was born of a virgin, not because sex is dirty, but because when Jesus was here on earth, he was God in the flesh. He was both human and he was divine. I'm telling you, if the virgin birth is true, it sets the stage for the miraculous nature of everything that Jesus did. But if it's only fiction, if it's legend, if it's something that just kind of sprung up later on, the rest of the story becomes suspect. Look, don't, don't let the virgin birth freak you out. I know biologically it would be a problem. But if you believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and there's lots of evidence pointing to a divine creator, if that verse is true, God can handle anything else. Okay, putting a baby into the womb of a virgin is not too much for God. Now the song also reinforces that he was, again, God in the flesh. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. We can see the Godhead in a person. Hail the incarnate deity. The Godhead is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus. God the Holy Spirit. Jesus was God, veiled in flesh. He was in human form. And you know that there are loads of people throughout history who have thought that Jesus was not God. He was just a good teacher. But let's be honest he did not leave that as an option for us. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus received worship. Jesus took the name I am that God used for himself in the Old Testament. Jesus said in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Those are the kind of things that a delusional person might say. Or maybe a con artist or the Son of God, but not just a good teacher. Good teachers didn't say things like that. Colossians 1.15 says about Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. And then it goes on in Colossians 2.9, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Many of you love the song, Mary, Did You Know? A great Christmas song written by Mark Lowry. One of the questions he asks in the song was, Mary, did you know? That when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. Jesus was God in the flesh. But despite all the imagery of Christmas, that little baby grew up. And he grew up to die for our sins. Back up in verse 1 of the carol, there's a phrase that says, God and sinners reconciled. God commanded us to be perfect, and we couldn't do it. In fact, he warned us that, that sin was a capital offense. And all of us have sinned. We've all earned the death penalty. 
But when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price. He took the penalty for our sins upon himself. All the sins that had ever been committed before him and all the sins that would be committed after. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our sin built a wall between us and God. Jesus broke down the wall and he built a bridge so that we could come to God. And the good news following the death of Jesus is that he rose from the dead. He verified his power over sin and death by coming back from the grave, right? Down in verse 3 of this song, one line says, He has risen with healing in his wings. It's a quote from the Old Testament book of Malachi in chapter 4. For you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Risen with healing in his wings. How many times did Jesus predict that he'd be crucified and he would come back to life? And his disciples, those guys just couldn't deal with it. It was too much. Despite all the prophecies, they just, they missed what was going on. But ironically, the enemies of Jesus caught just enough to be worried, just enough that they posted soldiers at the the tomb so that in case Jesus followers came in stole the body and said he'd come back to life they'd be ready only when the angels came the soldiers passed out cold and Jesus exploded out of the tomb just like he said and the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 what I received I passed on to you as of first importance this is the number one thing Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures Jesus was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures friends the foundational truth of Christianity what defines us as followers of Jesus is that he died on the cross that he was laid in the tomb and then he rose on the third day now, I read just this week that in 2020, the LifeWay Research Council did a survey, and according to their survey, they found that nearly 90% of Americans say that they believe Jesus rose from the dead. And that seems like good news, 90% almost. But there are a couple of caveats to that. For one thing, they also found that nearly 60% of 18 to 34-year-olds do not believe in the resurrection of Christ. So the younger generation largely doubts the most important truth of Christianity. It also strikes me that if nearly 90% of Americans believe in the resurrection, why is church attendance and biblical Christianity on a steady decline in America today? I guess we believe it. We just don't think it matters. Nothing is more important than the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He died for our sins. He was laid in the tomb, and he rose from the dead. And it proved that everything else that he said about salvation and about life and about death and about eternity were true. 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If this stuff's not true, what on earth are you doing here on a Sunday? Surely you have better things to do if this isn't true. But we believe that it is. 
We believe with Isaiah the prophet, and we believe with the Apostle Paul, and we believe with Charles Wesley and Felix Mendelssohn and on and on. Christians throughout history that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And, and, and this song goes on to even to say that he's with us today. I love this line in the song, pleased as man. In other words, Jesus was a man. He was pleased as a man with men to dwell. He liked hanging out with people. But Jesus, our Emmanuel, the word Emmanuel means God with us. As a man, he was pleased to hang out with people but he is still doing it today. He is our Emmanuel. Not just Emmanuel for those people then. He is our Emmanuel today. All those he has come to save. God with us. Wesley is reminding us that through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us, the, the power of God through Jesus Christ, that he is with us. What did Jesus say before he left this earth? I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love this carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There's, there's a beauty to the song, there's a nostalgia to the memories that it brings back, but there's just so much truth here. Jesus Christ, the virgin-born Lord of heaven and earth, died, he rose again, he lives in our hearts today, and there's, there's still even a couple more things here. He has a heavenly purpose today that he is fulfilling. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. He brings light and life. He brings healing and eternity. In John 8, 12, Jesus, it says when he spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And friends, Satan will try to convince you that it's just the opposite, that following Christ, being a Christian is committing intellectual suicide. How could you be so dumb? You're stepping out of light into the darkness to believe in him. Why would you build your life on fairy tales? But Jesus said, when you walk with me, it's like you come out of the darkness into the light. Life suddenly starts to make sense. And, and, and there's a clarity that comes when we follow him. You think about the, the story of Ebenezer Scrooge and how the ghosts of Jacob Marley and the ghost of Christmas past and the Christmas present and Christmas yet to come. In one night... He went from a bitter, angry, selfish, greedy miser to this man filled with joy and filled with generosity and filled with love. And he's living life as we know it's meant to be lived. And it's a beautiful story. It's fiction. It's not ghosts that change people. It's that baby. It's that baby in a manger who grew up to change everything. Jesus, Jesus brings light and life. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, he said. But he also brings healing and eternity. Risen with healing in his wings, born that men no more may die. 1 Peter 2, 24, Jesus says, or it says of Jesus that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree or the cross. 
so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Maybe healed physically. Sometimes Jesus does that. But not always. Not always, right? Death, death maintains a pretty high percentage, one out of one. And pretty much it's a guarantee we're all headed that direction. The beauty here is that there is a spiritual healing. The burden of guilt is removed and we're granted eternal life. Friends, there is a lot to love about Christmas. I know not everybody loves it, but there's a lot to love. Family and presents and music and, and laughter and joy. and it, The world just softens a little bit in December, it seems. But there is nothing more important than the coming of Jesus. It's been called the divine invasion, the arrival of God in the flesh. I want to give you a bottom line here, and then we're going to wrap this up. The bottom line doesn't sound very Christmassy, but Christmas isn't just a baby. That's only the beginning. I like when Nathan said the finish line, because Jesus had a purpose when he came. So here's the bottom line today. Jesus decided he would rather die for us than live without us. That's why there's Christmas. Jesus decided he would rather die for us than live without us. And I don't want you to miss that in December. You know, when Charles Wesley first wrote this carol that we talked about today, he realized that the Gospel of Luke never actually says the angels sang. It specifically says the angels praise God saying glory to God in the highest. In fact, that word saying has more to do with chanting than with singing. And he knew that, and he was very concerned about being true to Scripture. So the opening line of his original hymn or, or carol was, Hark how all the welkin rings, glory to the King of kings. Now that word welkin is an old English word, and it means the halls of heaven. So it's like he basically was saying, hark how the halls of heaven ring, glory to the king of kings. And that's how it was sung for several years in his church. Sometime later, a guy named George Whitfield, who was a college classmate of Wesley's, got hold of the lyrics and he changed them. He was maybe not as well educated as Wesley. He wasn't as hung up on the literal nature of those specific words. So Whitfield changed the words to Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King. And Wesley was outraged that this guy took his words and changed them without permission, and now they were theologically inaccurate. The Bible doesn't say they sang. It says they, they said. And it became this tension, this confrontation. Wesley refused to allow his church to sing it the way it had been rewritten. And you know what this tells me? It tells me that it's not just the 21st century that people like to argue and people like to complain. And there's people all the time getting lost in details that don't mean anything. Seriously. People then were dying and going to hell. And here's two theologians who are going to argue about whether they're chanting angels or singing angels. Seriously. And sometimes Christians fight over the dumbest things. And we get hung up on things that just don't matter. So, so listen, listen. 
all that tension that you're under at work, all that chaos that you feel at home, all that churning in your gut and that stress in your mind that's keeping you up at night, don't, don't let it allow you to miss Christmas. Not, not, not Santa Christmas and presents Christmas and happy Christmas. Don't, don't miss this. Jesus decided that he would rather die for you than live without you. Nothing is more important than that. Enjoy Christmas. Just don't miss that. Let's pray. Oh, God, we are so grateful to you that somehow you decided that we had enough worth in us, enough value in us, that you loved us enough that you would send Jesus for us. Lord Jesus, that you would lay down your glory, that you would step into our world, that you would reduce yourself to a little seed that was planted in a, a young woman and that you would grow up to change everything. I pray that we would have in our hearts and our minds a desire to, to embrace that truth, to surrender before it, and to give our hearts and lives to you. God, we, we are lost without you. Jesus, you are our hope, and we cling to you today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.